Mizel Beauty Co. creates fuss-free products that work on every skin type using the finest quality, naturally derived ingredients, such as wild plum or bilberry seed oil. Like us, they share a passion for the transformative power of nature, and they encourage their employees and customers to get outside to experience it as much as possible. There is a reason their mantra is naturally active. Hi, it's Hannah again, and today we are talking to Dan Raven Ellison from National Park City. He's always been a really important inspiration for the Go Jauntly team. With everything he's doing to help try and turn London into a National Park City, we've been following and supporting his campaign for a few years now, so I'm really delighted that he's come in today. Dan, hi, thanks for coming on the show. Please, can you introduce yourself to Hi, I'm Dan. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm a gorilla geographer, an explorer. And a few years ago, I started the campaign to make the whole of Greater London and beyond into the world's first national park city. And that's that's how we met, really. I always cite you as like the person or one of the persons or, or peoples that inspired Go Jauntly, really, because I read that amazing fact about London being 47% green space. And that was just right when we were doing all of our research. And I remember, I don't know if I've ever told you the story, obviously we've met quite a few times now, um, but I actually tried to talk to you at that big event that you did at Royal Festival, and what I was like happened? loitering for ages, oh, and yeah. I, I bottled it. <laughs> That's awful. I'm just a person, you should have said, hi, I've got this really cool idea. I know, I know, I, I really regret it now, but you had a lot of people like queuing to talk to you on well, that event. I think I, I don't know exactly which event you're talking about. You know the big one at Royal Festival Hall. I don't know if you've done two uh, there uh, now. We've done two events at South Bank at the, at the South Bank. But the first one we sort of asked this big question. Yeah. You know, what if we made London? That was a the National first Park one. City? The first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and really, that was to sort of introduce this idea to people that you know, what if what if we made London a national park city, and and what would that mean, and what would it become, and what would that mean for for life in the city, and what kind of ideas might that generate for people. Um, and I think lots of ideas were springing around yeah. from scientists, artists, entrepreneurs yeah. um, around that idea. So it, you, that, you should have said hello. You I should, know I should have done. I was yeah. really weak and yeah. pathetic. Um, that was the one where Wayne Hemingway was supposed to be there and apparently he didn't pitch up. I just remember you going, yeah, Wayne Hemingway had this amazing idea that we should do it here. And then he didn't pitch up. That's OK. You know, Wayne. <laughs> Is Wayne, he a good friend of yours? Wayne has lots of really great ideas yeah. and, and really challenges people to think, think, I think, really differently about the world. It, so yeah. he, he supported us lots over the time. It was a shame he couldn't make it. What's going to happen next? Like, so we're having this amazing festival, which is all about London becoming a national park city. You've managed to get Sadiq Khan behind it. The whole General London Assembly is happening. This vision of yours. Like, what happens next? Well, let's be clear. When London becomes a national park city, or mm. when a place becomes a national park, mm-hmm. it's not like in Virunga or Kruger or <laughs> Yosemite or the Lake District, Aurora Borealis, like yeah. came across the sky when it was launched and suddenly yeah. Utopia sort of followed what? in its wake. That sounds pretty and amazing. And this incredible sort of flourishing <laughs> of life, sort of magically appearing. Yeah. You know, if you were stood in one of these national parks as they become a national park, you wouldn't necessarily see a change overnight. No. But, but what a national park is, so f- just to rewind for anyone yeah. who hasn't heard of this this idea, for me, the, the arguments around the London National Park City or turning cities into national parks are really mm-hmm. fourfold, okay? Okay. So first thing, first really important thing is that urban life is not worth less than rural life. Completely so, agree. Right. Urban red foxes, urban peregrine falcons are just as cool as those guys that hang out in the countryside. A little so bit cooler. Potentially cooler. Yeah. Yeah, potentially cooler. Um <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely potentially cooler. <laughs> um, and you know, I think the, the second thing is that cities are just as exciting to explore as the deserts or rainforests. I love hiking in rainforests. I love hiking in mountains. I love going scuba diving. But I also love hiking around London. Mm. One is not necessarily better than the other. It's just different. Third point is that, that we animals that occupy the city alongside the 15,000 other species of, of wildlife in mm-hmm. London deserve amazing habitats to live in, right? And, and finally, it's a recognition that, that actually the place where most people have power to make the world greener, healthier and wilder are the places where people live. So people often think of national parks or think about nature conservation in terms of people doing something for some charismatic, beautiful species in some distant place. Mm. But actually the place where the two of us have most power in this city Mm. is on our balconies, on our rooftops, in our gardens and on our streets. And actually it's the consumption power and the voting power of people in cities where most people live who also have the most power beyond the the physical footprint of the city as well, like the urban, literal, physical footprint. So for all four of those reasons, it's where people have power, it's where people enjoy themselves the most. Mm -hmm. And and I think if we bring all that together in a really exciting, compelling way, then we can make life better for people and wildlife in London and beyond. So how how do you see that kind of, it's not going to happen overnight, it's it's not going to happen instantaneously, it's a future thing it's a now thing it's a grassroots thing it's a big thing it's a political thing you know it's always how do you think it will play out over the next few years in London I think you know some people are going to wake up in 50 years and not know about it yeah <laughs> you know yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think some people probably wake up like in the late, the late district not... and aren't aware or don't care or whatever you know I, I don't, it's not going to be for everybody and it doesn't need to be for everybody but some people mm. some people hear about it and like literally the next day they're like right my garden is part of the National Park City I'm going to make it amazing for insects. And other people will go, I had not thought of London that way. I'm going to go on a big 126 kilometer hike around the Capitol Ring because I hadn't thought of it like this. Or, you know, I'm going to do a little project in my community to get people doing whatever it is you want them to be doing, you know, or think they should be doing. So for some people, it will be overnight. But but for me and for the campaign, there's sort of two key questions underpin this that I think are really exciting to equip people with. The first question is like in the ideation, sort of imagination, imagineering space of what if, you know. So what if... Given that we're a national park city, we had otters in our rivers and canals. We had stand-up paddling in our canals. And what if more people walked than, than far more people walked than, than drove around the place? And what if we had more outdoor exploration, play and learning in schools? And that then leads on to the next question, which is more in the sort of expectation space. It's why not? You know, if we're, if we're living in a national park city, what do you mean you want to build on my public space? Mm-hmm. Why, if we're in a national park city, why isn't there outstanding outdoor play and learning every day in my school. And where are the otters, right? <laughs> like we're a national park city. How come the rivers aren't cool enough for otters? And so I think with that, whether it's politicians or business leaders or kids, you can imagine how, how over a period of time we create enough of a tipping balance yeah. that so many people are saying, why not? That actually it's like a happens. mindset thing, isn't it, then, like from what you're saying? I remember like I went on holiday to the west coast of Scotland and we went on this walk and we were looking for otters. And like, Did you see any? No, of course we didn't. <laughs> but the idea that the otters are there is so exciting it's isn't it? so exciting and then we went to where they'd reintroduce beavers mm. and um we didn't see any beavers but i have oh, a four-year-old well actually no that's wrong <laughs> i have a six-year-old son <laughs> i've like been in a been in a, a time warp but yeah i have a six-year-old and he makes a lot of noise when we go for a walk so you thought he was a beaver no it's just like you know like it's really amazing going out for walks with him because mm. he's just so engaged with it he loves it he he genuinely loves it and he says like can we go for a walk today and stuff like that 
but he just doesn't get the concept of being quiet because there might be a monk jack deer. You know, I, 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 I've got a 15 year old and I found it so hard. Like the number of times I ended up getting so stressed with him because all I wanted to do was go and hunt down like a grass snake or yes. really creep, creep up on a squirrel. And he just didn't get the concept of camouflage or being quiet. And, you know, I was. They're so little at that yeah, age I, anyway. I loved playing hide and seek when I was a kid. So yeah. it was one of my things. But it's just like getting into it. And then I read this other really good piece of research from uh, Dr. Miles Richardson, who hopefully we'll be able to get on the show one day. But it's about how, like, there's this, like, tipping point. Like, if you don't keep kids involved in nature after the age of 10, it takes them 20 years before they're into nature again. I guess maybe when they become parents and then they realize the importance of it. Well, the, the really unfortunate thing is that a lot of parents for various diverse and often very good reasons, but also some really bad reasons as well, keep their children inside yeah. up until the age of about like 11, by which point you've passed that point of like yeah. really benefiting the most from falling in love with nature. And when then they're fi- finally allowed out, actually Fortnite is a bit more exciting than slugs for a lot of kids. <laughs> and so they'd rather play Fortnite. You know, there's nothing wrong with Fortnite. Yeah. But, you know... Um, no, it's true. I'm one of those kids, though. So my mum didn't let me go out that much. Like, she, Do you think it's affected you much? Yes. <laughs> a lot. Um, she, we, we had an amazing VHS collection. And so I just used to watch, you know, like, I don't know, Elvis Presley movies or Madonna concerts. Uh, these are the things I can remember off the top of my head. And I used to like look out the window and and we didn't go out as much. And I know my mum regrets that now. I think she realised it because she's got really into walking and she's into that kind of stuff. But it's like a culture, it's a cultural thing as well. I think um, being afraid of like, because I lived in a city, like being afraid of being able to let me go out or just like not really realising that that is a thing to do. And I definitely think I, I had a, na- a nature deficit when I met my my husband and um, he, he's from the fields of Northumberland. And uh, they go out for walks. And I was like, what is this? Why are we walking? <laughs> and it was, uh, I was afraid of mud and, you know, like screaming at noises in the woods. And it's actually just a pheasant. You know, like, yeah. But, but think, I'm better now. I think often the, the conversation is quite simplified because it's quite hard for us to have deeper conversations around these things about why it is that people aren't going yeah. as much as they could do. There's nothing, like, I, I remember watching Flight of the Navigator on VHS many times. There's nothing yeah. wrong with, you know, being occupied with really cool 80s films, I don't think. But, <laughs> when you're a kid. <laughs> but but the thing about freedom, you know, I, I tried to organise a play street on in a street where I used to live in, in West London, in Ealing. And the street was about 100 metres long. And if you're at one end of the street, it was a dead-end Victorian terrace street. If you're at one end of the street, it's the bottom end of the dead end super yeah. safe for kids yeah other end uh, part of a rat run pretty dangerous for kids um but i tried to organize a street party it's not a street party sorry like a play street on the street yeah. and i put a letter through all the doors saying look guys do you want to organize a play street this seems like a really cool thing to do people are doing it and literally four or five people um said they'd contact the police or did contact the police what, to complain to complain that, no. that, that this thing might happen and this is a, this is a street which has had a pl- street party every year for like nearly 100 years a whole bunch said but there's no kids on this street why do we need to do this another bunch said oh but it's going to be really dangerous for our kids to play when out on the street was this recently this was like about 5 years ago now oh. 5 6 years ago but there were all these things that were just wrong wrong legally wrong in terms of safety mm. wrong in terms of health mindset mindset and when you consider that about 9% of london Nine to ten percent of London is domestic buildings, but twelve percent is roads. Twelve percent is roads, and those roads are quite often occupied by vehicles, which often only have one person in them, going on a journey that's less than a mile that they mm-hmm. could have walked. 
roads which have cars on them, which are either going so fast that parents often are the biggest reason why children are allowed, allowed to play outside. They cause air pollution, killing nearly 10,000 Londoners a year. The majority of Londoners don't even own a car. Um, and when they're parked up in the 5% of London, which is car parking, you know, that's maybe one of the most obscene private uses of public space. It really is. Because it's just such a waste of, of energy, of technology, and it stops people from, from flourishing in their mm. neighbourhoods, you know. And I think that we need to overcome that. And I'm quite excited, moving back to technology, about mm. the fact that if the policies are right, if the policies are right um, around automation mm-hmm. and there's less car ownership. Are you excited about that? Well, I am because if public transport is made free yeah. and it's always Agreed. cheaper to go public transport or mm-hmm. walk and it costs you more money to go private automated, then if we can free up all that car parking space, like Arup and others have suggested, for trees yeah. and for play and for growing, it'd be amazing. And for me, some of the best places to walk in cities in the UK are the dismantled railway lines, mm-hmm. whether it's Parkland Walk in mm-hmm. North London, whether it's the railway line connecting Bristol um, and Bath. When you go up to you know, a number of cities in Scotland, you've got these beautiful abandoned railway lines, which are fantastic for cycling, for walking, for pollinators, for play. So there is a future where if cars only need temporary access once in a while, mm. that our streets could become far more like that. How far away is that, do you reckon? Ten years? Before we're dead. Let's hope so. I remember speaking of like I'm just I'm just thinking now. You hope that it happens, or you hope that like we don't die in the next ten years. To... I hope we don't die in the next ten years, yeah, <laughs> and too. I hope it happens. Um, it just reminded me of a conversation we had with our neighbours because we 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 asked if we could all like chip in for those like um, bike sheds that mm. go on the road where the pavements are mm. to make it a bit more easier for people like me basically who are not that confident cyclists just like park your bike outside it's safe and not have to like put it through the house mm. and we got an uproar because we'd lose like a, a parking space and it's just like the whole road is a parking space just not like surely it should be fine to have like a safe bike locker outside for one space but people are really really protective of it and I just I just don't know how in 10 years we're going to be able to change people's minds about that I think I mean do you buy CDs anymore no yeah I mean CDs do you like use iTunes anymore but those feel so disposable right but that was 10 years ago wasn't yeah. it? it was like 10 years ago people it's were true. still some people were still using VHS 10 years ago probably <laughs> Blockbuster, when did Blockbuster die? Blockbuster probably died like within the last decade, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah. That, there's the future, it, you can smell it on the wind. I don't know. And it's com- cleaner. I, I know what you mean, but I think your comparisons are easier for people to take. You know, like it's like it feels like a CD or a VHS is kind of throwaway. Like you've watched it once, how many other, more times are you going to watch it? Mm. And I know cars end up being parked on the street more than they're driven. And. But it feels like, you know, like this whole concept of a car is like, that's one of the things that you work for, you know, like you save up money for, you have it and you own it for like 10 years or 20 years. I just, I hope, but I worry that people won't be able to kind of separate that being like a very, like an important status symbol or an important part of their life. I know when I was younger and I I went to uni and I, I didn't have a car at that point and I was living in a really remote area and I really... I was trapped. And then this car was like a symbol of freedom for me. I mean, I don't feel like that now, but at that time I felt trapped without it. And like, I loved it. I genuinely loved my car. So I just, I don't know. People feel, I, I feel, it feels so different. That's I, I, all. I, I love the freedom that driving can give me as well when I drive and, but, and geography really matters, right? Yeah. So people's situation where they are in the country, yeah. 
it's going to make a really big difference to the, the solutions to their mobility. But but I would argue that there's a lot of people who could probably do without the financial risk or would begin to think that it's not socially acceptable. And some of the current gains that you get yeah. from having a car just sat outside your house 80% of the time, yeah. eventually people might go, do you know what? Like my CD collection was a bit naff. I'd rather have Spotify and yeah. Netflix. Yeah, no, it's very true. And the, But the policies have to be right around it. But, but, but doing that could make London one of the most exciting walking cities. I mean, it's like in, when you say it, it's like transformative. Like I'm at this stage where I get angry, anxious when I'm walking along the street and there's just cars, 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 are either idling or queuing. And I don't like it. I don't like being around them. So this idea that London becomes like an amazing... Well, Joe, you know I was really offended by the other day. What? Really offended. I, was, I sort of came out from buying, uh, going shopping in um, West Ealing. And in the middle of this urban canyon beside the library, and like this urban canyon beside the Uxbridge Road, Uxbridge Road like belting out sort of, you know, pollution and everything. There's like an old 1970s ice cream van. I know. And they're always by playgrounds. <laughs> but like in this urban canyon, belching its way out. And like what kids are supposed to go up to this sort of toxic thing uh, to, to go and have ice cream and go and eat like this sort of, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty horrid. Yeah. I think now that we're, we have access to all of the information um, and starting to understand, you know, the effects of air pollution. I think it is becomes crazy when you think that it's like mind the kid on the but, back of the ice look, cream but, but van. Look, but look, you know, do you know what? I think that it's with the ecological crisis, with the climate crisis, with the mental health crisis, with the air pollution crisis. There's always crises that it's quite yeah. easy to get really shell shocked and scared Definitely. by all. But the thing that I find quite interesting to reflect on is that when it comes to fitness, one of the perversities of life that I think mm-hmm. is really unfair is that basically sweet stuff isn't really very good for you, right? To eat, you mm-hmm. know, on the whole. Um, but on the other hand, actually, some of the things that are best for you in life, so planting more stuff, growing more stuff, eating stuff that's more local from, from friends or from your allotment or from your garden or locally produced stuff, walking more, walking a lot more. Yeah. These are the simple things. That if everyone <laughs> just did those things more, I know. these are the solutions to the ecological crisis, the mental health crisis, the mm-hmm. air pollution crisis. Walk more, grow more, consume a little bit differently. Um, it's quite lo-fi. It's really lo-fi. <laughs> You learn to walk when you're one. But they're really positive things. Like, so we, you know, we, we sort of went down a bit of a, a negative kind of hole. But That's the thing true. is that actually there's a really beautiful, back, brilliant future, which is based on these things that people have done for thousands of years that if yeah. we get right, actually well, are really great. It's like um, when you watch the like uh, things like the, the climate change, the facts, where um, they're like the designing um, technology to help extract CO2. <laughs> and you're like, could just grow some trees right. <laughs> and you know plant more plants and keep house plants and things like that it's just like i get really frustrated basically when i go to loads of events about mobility or tech and they only give like voices or stages to automated cars or micro scooters and no one ever mentions walking mm-hmm. and um I was at an event and they were talking about the last mile and about how, you know, you should scoot the last mile. I'm like, you should walk the last mile. It's a mile. And and how, you know, like we should be promoting more of these things. So Yeah, but it's, it's all the question of externalities, isn't it? And about, about the fact that there's no money in walking unless you, you know, are developing like a really awesome app to get more people walking. <laughs> there isn't, there isn't actually 
No. You know, there's not a, there's not so much of a product to sell because the yeah. message is you can just go and do this thing. Yeah, but it's like, but there are so, well, I don't know, like I feel like there's so much research around like the barriers to walking. But then, that well, that was one of the other reasons why we created Go Journeys because there are all these barriers like people not knowing where the loo is or not knowing where the rest stop is or not knowing how steep it was or needing something that they could go and change their baby's nappy and, you know, all of this stuff. And they talk about it, but nothing was actually being done about making it easier for people to walk because sometimes it's not easy sometimes it's not easy to know where to go or where not to go or where's safe or where's fun or you know where you can go and experience this like amazing 47 percent green green space that we have but i completely agree about toilets and showers yeah you know people just have like basic needs and if you can't meet those basic needs and it becomes the point of your vulnerability yeah. then you're just not going to get in, involved in that activity yeah i know yeah. it's it can yeah. it can be off-putting and it's certainly so it's great that it includes those things yeah now as you may or may not know we have a walking app called go jointly and because one of our main aims in life is to try and encourage you to walk more and discover new places to visit shane from go jointly is going to take us through his favorite walks each week you can find out more on our website or you can download the app. But in the meantime, Shane, what have you got for us today? Hi, Hannah. Uh, this week, I am going with one I've actually walked before, but it was back in February and it was pretty cold and gray and I would love to do it again in the summer. It's Hay on Wye in Wales. It's a tiny town, top of the Brecon Beacons National Park. And they've got it's the most amazing place. It's this tiny little town, but it has over 20 bookshops, used bookshops, new bookshops. They have a bookshop just for mystery books. It's a crazy place, and I loved it there. And it did a walk. It's on the app. It's called uh, The Town of Books, I believe. And it goes past a bunch of these different bookshops before ending up at this beautiful little riverside park. And there's a beach, and you can lie out with a couple books that you purchased and read and swim in the river. And it would just be sort of my ideal summer day. So I think I want to go back to Wales and check that out this summer. Thanks so much, Shane. We're just going to go back to the podcast interview now. One of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was this whole concept of noticing nature. And it's something that we say quite a lot. And so I think I know what it means and this concept of like connecting with nature. What do you think it means? We're disconnected with nature. Well, for me, it means just slowing down and like just taking notice of surroundings. Um, I'm not really like a a mindfulness person. I'm very hyperactive sometimes and I get really distracted and things like that. But I have noticed that if I go like on the way home through Ladywell Fields, where there's loads of like really tall cowslip and like, you know, trees glimmering in, in the sun, like I immediately feel like 20, 30% 20, 30% calmer. Mm. And there's something a bit cheesy, but I get a bit tingly. <laughs> like I feel, I just feel like, oh, like a really like, like nice sigh of relief. And so for me, when I think about connecting with nature, I think of that. But I also feel like a bit silly sometimes when I'm like standing there and going, mm, let's look at that bee. Just going to look at that bee. <laughs> so, and uh, but then like there's this they things, are amazing they are amazing they are amazing or like like it feels more natural to like look at a bird but I don't know what does it mean to you like how how do you connect with nature I imagine you must be the ultimate nature connector the ultimate <laughs> I, I don't, don't think one of my favorite occasions is seeing a bird 
was um, in Hyde Park around some tourists. And um, there was one of those pelicans in St. James Park. Don't tell me you ate a pigeon. And it had a pigeon in its mouth. And, this, and, and the head of the pigeon was like <laughs> just looking out of this pelican's mouth. And you could just kind of just see it taking its last look at the world before the pelican sort of put its neck back and you just saw it kind of go down its throat. It was, it was an incredible sight. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. No, so... Um, <laughs> Well, I felt for the pigeon, but just when you're talking about your sort of very gentle... <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's the opposite. This might sound controversial. So I think I think it's really important that people know what things are. And I think if you can name something, you know what it is, mm. and as an identity, and you can feel closer to it in that way, then that can strengthen your relationship. But I'm dyslexic, and I'm really quite bad with names. And I feel quite alienated by the whole brigade of people who, a bit like train spotters, feel like you have to be able to name everything. Oh, yeah, and every, and everything's always being named on Twitter all the time. And it's yeah. like, there's nothing else to be said about this incredible animal, about how beautiful it is, or about the detail of what it's doing, or about its evolutionary history, or maybe where it's going, or its yeah. hopes or desires, or its social circumstances. No, it tends to be, oh no, this is, you know... Latin name, whatever, mm-hmm. and you know, aren't I smarter than you because I can name more things with Latin names than you can? And I think that it's great that some people are in that scientific space, but I don't think there's am- as much space in this city, London, at the moment as there should be for a more um, artistic, cultural, emotional relationship with things, which isn't necessarily about being able to name things. You know, I- I'm quite happy in watching people go by in London without knowing everyone's names yeah. and you know the science behind them. So for me, connecting with nature is quite often on a more emotional level. As a kid, I just loved to jump in canals and chase down snakes. And did you, you know, did you grow up in London? I sort of grew up on the outskirts of London. I grew okay. up in a military family, being carted around the world. So Same. yeah, ca- ca- catching what did you yeah. catching all kinds of weird animals in deserts and rainforests. And just, really? I, I, yeah, I loved doing that sort of stuff. Didn't, didn't go. I went to Aldershot. Didn't go. To I got born in Aldershot. Did you? Yeah, I did. So so my canal experiences started off in the Basingstoke Canal, tr- jumping in the canal, hoping not to be sort of like garroted by a, a shopping trolley and trying to find <laughs> various different animals. But I think the cameras are really really important because I think what cameras can do is they can provide a frame and help you to tune into something in a way that maybe you can do in a more focused way than you would do without the additional purpose of the intent of the photo or the video. And for you in that situation, when you're worried that other people think that you're like being a bit creepy, looking at the creepy <laughs> crawlies, um, actually it creates some legitimacy to that moment. And the other day, um, you know, uh, some extremists would say this isn't necessarily a nature experience because it's not really that wild. But I was hanging out with an nasturtium on my front garden. Um, in a, I say front garden, more like front trough. Um, and there was just a nasturtium leaf, really hairy leaf. It was only a few weeks old. And, I was, and it was just that perfect kind of droplets of rain that was coming down with that lovely pitter-patter that, that you, you hear if you're in a greenhouse or you're in a tent but you you don't hear through double glazing i think we're some, sometimes we don't hear nature as much as we should do because of double glazing and just watching these tiny particles of water bounce onto each other absorb into each other until it forms a large enough globule of water that that big droplet would just sort of fall off to one side and then the process would start again and i was only there for a couple of minutes enjoying this thing but just hanging out with this nasturtium in the rain was actually you know a really nice thing sounds pretty nice yeah. I, 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 but i did i did video it and I think that that videoing helps me to tune into it even further than if I was just kind of there hanging out on my own watching like water. And you but, can still remember it because I, I remember reading something about like how if you take a photo of something, you don't remember it as well if you don't take a photo. I can't remember where I read it about, but um, I 
I just love looking back at those kind of videos and things like that. And you shared it, and I actually saw it. And okay. I did. I did stop and and watch it and thought, what's he doing? Did you watch the whole of the video, <laughs> or did you get did you get did you get bored halfway through? Oh no, I don't think I got bored. I think I just moved on to the next thing. Gosh. I'm really sorry. But so, so you missed the story. You saw the water droplets yeah, fall off. Yeah. Which was then almost like the happened? end of the story, but then the, all these tiny water droplets made another big one ready to go again. It's this sort of cyclical process. Oh, yes. that's beautiful. I was doing a similar thing the other day and um I needed to like basically I was trying to practice what I preach and I was feeling really stressed out and like overwhelmed, start off life start up life crazy blah and so I went for a walk in the park and then I lay I laid on a bench and it was one that doesn't have like a back on it and so I could just look up at this and it was like a really stormyish day it was like half sunny half cloudy and I had my headphones on and I was just like looking at the clouds and they were so beautiful and I was just watching them like swirling and swirling and going in together and I cried mm. it, but it was really good even though I cried I felt like like, isn't this like a beautiful place? Like, aren't we lucky to just have those kind of moments and see those things? And what I really wanted to happen was like for the rain to just like, you know, like to get drenched. I don't know, like that whole thinking, I, 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 feeling, I, seeing, smelling, that whole experience. Have, have of you nature. heard of the, the Tranquil City Project? Yes, I have. We, we've we been on a walk with them. They're amazing. They're, that's right. You Love guys did Grant. a walk together. They're, they're, they're awesome. I was, and I was speaking to Grant, you know, they're mapping the city to find all these tranquil places. And I was just, yeah. and Grant's like a, a an acoustic sonic engineer or he something is. sort of pretty crazy. And what I've asked him to do with me to team up one is to overcome this problem of the fact that double glazing insulates you from the rain. Nothing makes me happier than being in bed yeah. or in a tent yeah. and having that sense of like, it completely pouring it down. And people often think about nature in terms of, you know, like the pelicans or the, you know, the, <laughs> the swans, whatever, the snakes, yeah, whatever, you're, whatever yeah, you're thinking of. Yeah. I want to have a rain box outside my window so that when it rains, it's drumming loud enough in the right way so that mm-hmm. when I'm in bed in the morning on a Sunday or it's like late at night and it's like thundering it down, I, I can hear the raindrops. Yeah, Because I, nice. I miss that. Yeah, it is really, really nice. Yeah, which yeah. means to make something, we need to design a device. So that it's loud. Surely, just like you need a massive water butt outside your bedroom window. <laughs> that, that could work too. But I think that we need, we need to find. I think it's interesting also thinking about where one of the things that trees gives us in cities. Trees, yes, they clean the air and they provide shade and they help to re- reduce flooding and they. But they yeah. also provide an incredible amount of complexity and beauty and and dappled light. Yeah. And I also think that we should think be thinking about how we can use biomimicry to be thinking about if there's a place where you can't have trees. How can we use the resources we do have to still have dappled lives on pavements mm. so that when people are moving through spaces, they can still have some of the benefits of, of the things that nature gives us, even if we have to engineer them for ourselves. And I think that the idea of the National Park City mm. as an idea, I think, will help to inspire all kinds of innovations that will still give us some of those, some of those beautiful moments, even when maybe it's quite hard to bring nature into spaces. Yeah, I really like that idea. And um, for one of the walks we were doing for this Lizelle project, um, I got the chance to go to the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh. Have you been? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's all free, which is amazing. And like people just use it to go and have their lunch break there. Like, oh, we should have more places like that. But I remember um, just walking through the dappled lights of the trees. And what I didn't realise is that the birch tree leaves are sort of slightly translucent so that it allows the light the light to come through. Like, I don't know, it was just like, it was just 
Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Like almost as cool as being in like a confetti thing, which is obviously really polluting and terrible, but it was as nice as that. And if you could have that everywhere, I just think it would completely change people's attitudes when they're like walking around the city and and trying to get from A to B. I think it would it really great be really well, great. I love I love um things like up in Bounds Green, they had like a window show. I absolutely love this as an example and um where basically for a couple of weeks there's a woman up there who I think her name is Catherine who this really cool project inspired the local community. To, to put things in people's windows so that at night time all these all these oh. shapes and patterns and stories sort of come through the windows and then in, in Walthamstow there's a brilliant project to connect people to, with the wetlands which is a, a 1000 Swifts project which is about having Swifts made out of recycled materials across pubs and houses and in gardens and at schools there's sort of Swifts everywhere to connect people to the story of the Swifts that travel there and I think some of these small creative you know interventions that people can do in their communities can completely make places more interesting and more fascinating to walk around. And they're just such acts of generosity. You know, I walked across all the national parks and all the cities in the UK and going past literally thousands of windows, only past two that I can remember, one in Newcastle and one in Swansea, I think, where people decided to put their ornaments facing outwards to the street rather than inwards to them in their home. (laughs) That's nice. Right? Right. And, you know, what if we had lots of micro museums and yeah. lots of mini galleries and, oh. and, and not for like artists, I'm sort of doing speech mark artists, mm. not, not necessarily about it being about there being an artist that's exhibiting their stuff, although that's cool. But actually just thinking about um, if, maybe even quite crap interventions, but are just still efforts to get people intrigued about the places they're walking through and the character of those places. You know, on this walk as well, you know, I got really drawn in by roundabouts, which, again, is this very sort of boring thing to get excited about really i guess <laughs> no I, 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 didn't, I didn't expect to but but um came across this one roundabout in in on morecambe bay with these sort of big um um uh, uh like birds with their sort of their wings out in the middle of this roundabout and it's one of the few sculptures i've seen in the uk in the middle of a roundabout that was like really thought-provoking and like oh. really cool and you say well why isn't there like a fourth plinth in the middle of every roundabout in the uk yeah. where artists can take them over and do things i think that we just need to be far more I'd rather be offended by more art and culture in more places than to have as much sterileness as yeah. we have as we do in many of our communities. I really love the sound of the sound of that sort of like community aspect. Um, it just helps people feel more connected, I think, to their environment and their surroundings and their community, which is so important, especially in ever increasing uh, challenging times. So um, we're almost out of time, but I really, really wanted to talk to you about the festival that's coming up and so that we can help get people excited. The National Park City Festival, when Indeed. London becomes the world's first national park city. The As celebration of that. It, yes. Amazing. Um, are you going to have a massive sense of relief or are you going to feel like you've got more stuff to do now? Well, it's a little bit like walking from the Indian Ocean up to base camp. Yeah. And qualifying for something. But you know that it's not really like Everest because if you're successful, it'll never end. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's like a metaphor for life, although it does end. Mm, that's not right. <laughs> well, everything sort of rejuvenates, doesn't it? And, yeah. And changes. And well, maybe not everything rejuvenates. A lot of stuff doesn't. But anyway, so the festival is going to be amazing, but it really is the, the starting point. Um, you know, the, the, the London National Park City is partially a celebration of everything that's been done over the last 2000 years to make London as green and wild and interesting as it is. But then it's a challenge to say, well, actually, we all know we could do much better, right? Mm-hmm. We could have more walking, more people outdoors, more otters. We could have more, lots more good stuff everywhere. So it's a, it's a challenge and a vision to, to challenge people to ask more of those what if, why not questions and start actually acting 
around doing things in their streets and in their lives to, to bring this thing to life. And the festival is really a great demonstration of that. There is going to be um, a number of days at the National Theatre with lots of performances on the outdoor stage, which is really great sort of cultural activity. There's a wildlife photography competition being run with the London Wildlife Trust you can get involved with at the moment. There's lots of people sharing on Twitter pictures of um, all kinds of interesting sort of animals and experiences around London. There's a thing called the Big Splash where you can go and do wild swimming and you can go stand up paddle boarding or kayaking and try out water sports. Is that in the Thames sports. or in the canals? It's in the canals and in lakes and in, down in Docklands. And really our waterways and our canals could be so much more vibrant. So I think that's a really good example of how if we can get more people in the water, then maybe we can clean up the water, which will then give us those otters and get more people in the, in the waterways, which is fantastic. So the whole festival has been supported by the Mayor of London, which is absolutely fantastic. And there are lots and lots of free events across the city, ranging from culture and walks and learning how to do some rewilding, um, things for children, things for people who want to get onto rooftops around the city. It's going to be a really exciting week. But it really is the starting pistol um, for um, a very long journey. Um, And, you know, I think that I am amazed by how far we've come in six years with this campaign and I'm full of hope for where we can get to. It's incredible. You're amazing. I'm, I'm really... You're amazing. We're all amazing. <laughs> We're all doing good stuff. So the festival is going to be on from the 20th of July. Um, we're actually doing an event as well. Amazing. What are you doing? Ours is quite um, low-key, but super fun. We are working with a local community group to open a cutting that is in Broccoli. It's called New Crossgate Cutting. It was part of the Great Northwood in the south of London. And um, it's a nature reserve that is managed by London Wildlife Trust. And we're going to run like a kind of treasure hunt come uh, nature trail where the parents get prizes and the kids get stickers. Amazing. So, yeah, we're going to do that. And that will be on the 20th. So I'm really looking forward to that. Brilliant. All right. Um, just wanted to say thanks again, Dan. And I hope we get to do this again because I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And let's let's go on a hike sometime soon. <laughs> I don't know. We did that before, didn't we? In, we uh, we can do it again. In Lewis. I really, but I pulled a muscle that day. You walk pretty fast. Well, we, we can slow down. Thank we can, you. We can slow down. That will do like a mindfulness one. It'll be really good. <laughs> okay. Thank you. It was great to have Dan here. The National Park City Festival runs from the 20th to the 28th of July and it marks London becoming a national park city. There'll be celebrations across the capital, all outside, all free. And you can find out more on their website, which is nationalparkcity.london. There's a full list of events there. We'll also be running an event. It's a kind of nature trail come treasure hunt on the 20th of July, a Saturday. It's a drop-in, so come in any time between 12 or 4 if you're not listening after the date. And yeah, just come and have fun with us. We'll be giving away prizes for the adults, yay! And the kids will get stickers, haha, and hopefully having a lovely time. In the next episode, we're talking to Celeste Hicks from Mums for Lungs, a campaign group who are working to help spread awareness about air pollution through campaigns such as School Streets. I really hope you've enjoyed this show as much as we have. If you have any suggestions for guests or topics to cover, then please do get in touch at hi at gojauntly.com. For more information about the show, visit gojauntly.com forward slash nature This podcast was brought to you in partnership with Lizelle Beauty Co. Find out more about Lizelle skincare over at lizelle.com.